into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating our citizens as less than human. I got something not too long for you. Yeah, I keep forgetting that I have to intro the show. Oh, hello there. <laughs> oh, hello. Hi. Oh, hey, what's up? Hi. Thanks I was just jacking me. off Anders. Thanks for coming. <laughs> you were jacking me off? Yeah. That's called the uh, J6. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it only takes six pumps for Alex to jack me off. That's why That's they call funny. him Six Pump Anders. Yeah, he's uh, the Patriot. Uh, <laughs> your patriot only takes six pumps to jack off it's not gay to help a patriot release <laughs> no no it's patriotic it's for lady liberty our, I uh, wonder. so if they had a jack off race and it was mm-hmm. measured by number of pumps of course would that would people just find a way to do it really slowly mm. I wonder. find a way to do it really slowly you would need soft hands and incredible pressure <clears throat> I think you would just have to measure it by time Thank you for listening to our very serious <laughs> podcast. About the Honorable Senator Mike Cravell, rest in peace. Rest his soul. This podcast is dedicated to his memory. Right. <laughs> We're talking about him today. Remember when he was on our show? Yeah. Um, Good old 2019. Oh, man. Watching the film about Mike Cravell and his political campaign uh, for president involving the teens and the Twitter. It was a walk down memory lane. I had a really good time remembering what it was like in the before world when the biggest threat to my existential existence, existential existence, existential existence. was Pete Buttigieg or something, um, or Beto. I actually felt like that was painful for me, but it was good. Yeah, somewhat painful. It, it is interesting how um, COVID is in some ways comparable to 9-11 as a paradigm shifter. And I've said that um, just as I found the year 2000 to be quite fascinating because it's like looking into a strange mirror where things are similar but completely different because 9-11 has not completely changed politics, culture, etc. 2019 will be like that. People will look back on 2019 as the before time, COVID. But it is interesting how many things have actually, you know – Politics has not completely uh, exploded in the same way that it did after 9-11. There at least is um, discourse about the way society should function. I think that's probably because of the nature of the, the two beasts, but uh, COVID has killed way imploded. more people. Fair enough. Imploded. But and that people have strong opinions that don't seem like they can go anywhere. That's true, but but at least it's not like nine eleven where everybody has to sort of indulge this uh, jingoism we, we, in, after something that killed way less people than COVID. So, yeah, that's just they, my two cents. They've tried to make, make jingoism happen a few times with regards to like China. China, or yeah, yeah. But yeah. short of really the thing where you pin COVID on China, short of that, the only way to do jingoism about this is to do the speech from Independence Day and make it about aliens. Yeah, <laughs> they will not defeat us. Yeah, or just the germs. 
the germs will not defeat us. We will not go into the darkness or whatever. Going to war with soap. Mm -hmm. This could be a very exciting. Has anybody considered this a very exciting? um, uh, What was that Chris Rock movie where he's a he's a a white blood cell? Osmosis Jones. It could be an exciting Osmosis Jones. And no one has said this and no one is getting in there and getting Osmosis Jones in these pitch rooms to go and fight COVID, his greatest villain yet. Right, they need to do a sequel. Maybe even a live action Osmosis Jones. I think it's time for that. Well, a bunch of it is live action, like Bill Murray sneezing. That's true, that's true. But full on live action. So the internal organs, they would be, you know, I guess filmed in some You could see the liver. I want my colon to be played by Lin-Manuel Miranda. (laughs) <laughs> very Speaking nice of, segue we have a lot to cover here today uh first of all quick plug for behind the paywall we did an entire j6 episode what happened to j6 would you like to hear what's been going on back there since then uh but we did record it on january 5th and there were some exciting updates the next day Right. And when we recorded, we were like, is all of this going to be irrelevant tomorrow? Is there going to be and are they going to, you know, blow up the Capitol or going to take the White House tomorrow? We don't even know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, was a whimper. Nothing really. There was as far as I saw, not nary a right wing demonstration. This and I and I will say I did predict this. This was really a day for, for the liberals. Day. Yeah, it's a liberal holiday. Now you get your J6 tree. And you yeah. weep at it. It's like a liberal battle of the Alamo or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Um, but they did do a hell of a ceremony uh, to celebrate. They, Congress invited in conservative foundation Dick Cheney to come <laughs> and solve, heal the nation's <sighs> wounds. By yeah. getting the most evil man alive in a room and showing him songs. <laughs> I love, uh, you know, who unites this country more than Dick Cheney? All of us <laughs> agree with Dick Cheney about something, you know? <laughs> Truly an everyman, center of the aisle. God. And as we Cheney. noted the other day, Cheney was part of a successful coup. He literally was in the Bush-Cheney campaign in 2000 where they had uh, staffers go into the recount office and physically stop it from happening. Right. The the message is, now this is how you do a coup. Yeah. With respect. Right. It was the Brooks Brothers riot, and that's really the problem they have with January 6th is people were wearing Carhartt, and they should have been dressed up nicer. It's just such a great example of the fundamental misunderstandings happening here at the level of power that they're at, because like the people at the insurrection don't like Dick Cheney. (laughs) Nobody likes Dick Cheney. That's not (laughs) why he was vice president. It's because he's like a shady, like money operator lurking in the shadows and killing people. Well, wasn't it like Bush had tasked him with finding a vice president? And he found himself. <laughs> There's some accounts of That's it. That's pretty baller, actually. In the, movie, really cool. in the movie Vice, it's like, I want you to do it. Yeah. But, which I don't know why anyone would want him to be running for anything. But I guess that goes to 
dubious political instincts. I don't know. But the other thing that we have to cover about this, so they invite Dick Cheney in and uh, you're wondering what's the actual celebration for this. Like at, during um, the the summer uh, uh, protests in 2020, uh, the Democrats all wore like dashikis and got down on one knee. Uh, this time they invited Lin-Manuel Miranda in to sing a song from Hamilton, which is at best loosely connected <laughs> To what was going i don't i couldn't string that one together i think they they just like them and are like they're here too american the history the opposite That's of dick cheney exactly what it is there's no <laughs> coherent thread to any of this they just throw lin manuel at shit when they feel sad he's like a clown for them or like a VHS <laughs> you put on to entertain your unruly child people love that shit they're idiots and it, they all the actors, so they have all the actors from Hamilton singing the, one of the songs, but it's like over Zoom, so it doesn't sound great, which is like, what about the <laughs> 1,000 recordings you have of them doing this not over Zoom? Right. We didn't want to use those. <laughs> and they've, they've performed at the White House before. They did it under Obama, so they... I what don't know a hot they... cottage industry to get into, just like political class... Uh, 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 clown that you get brought in to cheer everybody up when they see the the walls coming in around them hamilton is such a good grift if that's what you're trying to make money off of though because it's like it's modern liberal shit where it makes the white people in the like ruling class feel like they're down and that they're inclusive and stuff because they're like enjoying rap music which is something that even old people today like kind of can't get away with just i don't like it you know so it's like you have to make the most um sort of milk toast like my problem is it's not lyrical enough it's not educational and, <laughs> and so god i mean what a good idea what we should listen we gotta make some cash we gotta come up with something like this uh how about like daggering we bring daggering to to old <laughs> white establishment people but we make it we'll dress up with like powdered wigs and stuff and this is <laughs> juggling with daggers what is that exactly daggering? Like, no throw, throwing it at, no. At juggling with daggers no do a youtube search daggering is like um it's like a, a specific subgenre thing of like twerking where basically you're just like sort of shaking Ooh. your body and then like or like the, the main thing is it's like a woman will be kind of twerking and then a guy like sort of runs up and then like jumps in the air and then like s like snatches her between his thighs and then is like hanging off of her. Uh, okay. It's like That's a shit. Like an erection body slam. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a guy uh, fucking one of the one of the people who made it famous would do this shit where he would like bring a ladder on stage and like jump off of a ladder and then land on someone and dagger them. Nice. But, but, so picture this, right? But <laughs> it's the story of Benjamin Franklin, you know? <laughs> Who was notoriously kinky blowing out <laughs> the female population of 1780 or whatever. Um, yeah. And he's played by major laser. And <laughs> He's going in and just absolutely wrecking these women, but for America. 
instead of like like that laser sound it's like flutes you know because it's the guy <laughs> the revolutionary war <laughs> you can picture it right yeah I mean, we could make a musical about the Mexican-American War and conservatives would be like, oh, that's cool. That's good that we did that. Stole two-thirds of Mexico. Hell yeah. Ah, based. I'm down, I'm down with the homies. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So that was just a fun update on that. Um, but we're talking about Mike Gravel today. Yes. First of MG. his name. More, you know, his real name is Maurice Gravel, which I guess he... what. Yeah, his real name, he was French-Canadian. Uh, his parents immigrated from Canada to Massachusetts. Uh, and I guess he started going by Mike because that sounds very similar to Maurice Ravel, which is a perform- or a composer. Um, there's, he's a fascinating figure. Uh, but one thing I wanted to highlight before we go into the interview is his role in ending the Vietnam War. Um it was not just him, of course, but uh, he was a senator from Alaska throughout the 70s and was elected in 1968, interestingly, by running to the right of the Democratic incumbent, uh, I think, in Ernest Grunick. And he, but he did this by just basically by his own admission. He says, I was very Machiavellian about this. He said... Uh, I I don't think we should just get out of Vietnam willy-nilly or something like that. He just made this very vague statement in a film that he cut on the cutting edge of you know media at the time and sent it around Alaska, and a lot of people saw it. And he, there, he was giving the impression that he was to the right of the incumbent on Vietnam. Really, he was just opposing him because the guy was really old, and Mike Gravel was super ambitious. Uh, and then he wins and becomes staunchly opposed to the Vietnam War as an actual senator. Um, what's that? Psych. Oh, psych. psych. He psych. did a psych. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt the show. <laughs> yeah, no, psych. psych Gravel. That's what his name became. But uh, so in the Senate, he's, you know, fighting the draft and he takes some credit for ending the draft by voting on a cloture and stuff like that. But what he's really known for is the Pentagon Papers, which, of course, were released by Daniel Ellsberg, who was a uh, worked at the Pentagon and was slowly turning against American imperialism and decided that the American people need to know all the lies that their government has been telling them about Vietnam. Lie alert. <laughs> yeah. So he gets this document together, and Mike Gravel is anti-war. So he's they team up, and Ellsberg or uh, Gravel says that because of the Constitution's speech and debate clause, he would be allowed to put top secret documents into the record for the Senate. Um, but to do that, they have to go, and th- there is a great. Uh, speech Mike Gravel gave in 2007, you can find it on YouTube, of going through this story. He does such a good job of uh, telling the story in a compelling way, and it's funny, and it's it's great. Um, he had a background in intelligence because he was a veteran, served in, I believe, World War II, and so he planned out this thing with, uh, with one of 
Ellsberg's associates where they met on the Capitol steps and they run into Bob Dole and Bob Dole was Gravel's enemy. So he tells him to fuck off and then he runs into some Alaskans who want their picture taken and just all this crazy things happening. Uh, and then finally he gets the documents. Um, they pull up their cars in front of the Mayflower Hotel and they and the guy gives him the documents and he gets – uh, to the Senate, and he they have to figure out how to do it because the rules are very wonky. Um, and he finds kind of a loophole, I guess, and decides to read them at a committee hearing that is not for Vietnam. It's for the Buildings and Grounds Subcommittee. Um, so he gets this congressman to testify as to why – his district needs a federal building. And Mike Gravel says, that's great. I I love that idea, but we can't afford it because of all the money we're spending in Vietnam. So he does a segue into reading the Pentagon. Is, is this papers why out. he's your hero? Because he's a segue legend? Yeah. <laughs> and that's how we got around probably in later in life, I would imagine, the segue. But he, he reads the papers and the most – a uh, compelling part about this story to me, and I think this really explains a lot about Mike Gravel, is he's supposed to read these papers and he's the, he's like the only senator they can find to do it. So he has to fill a, basically filibuster, but he's dyslexic. Oh, my so he, God. And if you listen to the original tape of him talking about Vietnam and reading the papers, he, and he's like, uh, bodies – Severed. He's trying to say severed. But well, he's dyslexic. That is. It's in the you documentary. Yeah. I thought he was just like uh, ludicrous when he calls him Ursher. He <laughs> <laughs> just talked like that. Yeah. No, no, he's dyslexic. And I, you know, I've sort of uh, am an honorary dyslexic. Many people have thought I'm dyslexic uh, just for having low intelligence quotient. But. Right. I'm not, you know, there's a, lot a of plaque friend. on your wall. Yeah. But, I, you know, having gone to a school for learning disabled kids, uh, most of my classmates were dyslexic. And one thing that really left an impression on me, a lot of very bright people are dyslexic because it just means your brain works in a slightly different way from, I'm hesitant to say most people's, but uh, the norm, the expectation. And, because of that, you get a lot of really brilliant and courageous people who have to, you know, uh, spend their upbringing fighting against this thing and compensating for it. And they eventually get tenacity and resolve. And I think that really goes a long way in explaining Mike Gravel. Um, so he gets this into the congressional record. Bob Dole is furious at him, who somehow managed to outlive Mike Gravel. Um, and well, he not by much. Up. Yeah, by a few months, yeah. Uh, but he is almost sent to jail because of. Do you the, think his uh, heart was broken and without like an enemy? You know how like when a husband dies, the the wife like is, has a Bob shorter Dole, life. I think Bob Dole had as no shortage of of enemies. Yeah, um, but it's uh, so. For a while, it looks like he's going to have to go to jail for doing this because this is top secret information. But luckily, the Supreme Court rules in his favor 
and they managed to get it published, the Pentagon Papers published, with Beacon Press, which is run by the Unitarian Church. So, moral of the story, and Mike Gravel was also Unitarian, uh, the Unitarians saved the day. And the moral of the story is Unitarians saved the day. That's but right. That's for a different film. But it really is an incredible story, and people should uh, watch him tell it on YouTube because he's a great storyteller and does a great job. And, like, you know, we need sometimes people in the right position to, to do that stuff. Because without him, and this is a point he made, because he did challenge uh, that incumbent to the right on Vietnam. But as he says, that that guy, Grunig, who, who's the senator he replaced, was anti-war, probably would not have had the balls to do that with the Pentagon Papers. So we're better off with, with uh, Maurice. Respect, Maurice. Well, what are we talking about today? Well, today we are going to be talking more Gravel and beyond the man himself. We're going to be talking about his little acolytes, his teens, new from the filmmaker we're going to be speaking with, who has made a film that you can check out on Apple TV and Amazon and other places called American Gadfly. His name is Sky Wallen, and let's go to that tape. Okay, we are now joined by Sky Wallen a maker of film, a documentarian, who has uh, just come out with a new flick called American Gadfly about Mike Gravel and his uh, rowdy band of teens. Sky, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Happy so, New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year to you. Yeah. It's uh, the first year I've been alive that Mike Gravel has not been with us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2022. Um, but why don't we begin by our respective, I guess, intros to the Senator Mike Gravel. I was just thinking about this today. I remember my 16th birthday, uh, got some famous Dave's barbecue sitting down to watch cause it's my birthday. So I sat down to watch, uh, the 2008, presidential debate at the time or the, like the uh primary debates this was 2007 on pbs who's on pbs i think uh-huh. i went for paintball for my 16th birthday <laughs> but that sounds good too <laughs> i mean that's paintball you kind of need friends to do and <laughs> right this was pre that stage so i sat down watched pbs eating the eating the brisket and the ribs and this guy comes on TV, this debate moderated by Tavis Smiley, and he's mm-hmm. talking about the war on drugs mm-hmm. and for-profit healthcare and all this stuff that I had never really thought about. And that re- it really was, and I said this to Mr. Gravel when we interviewed him a few years ago, that really sort of started me on the path towards uh, where my politics are now. Was, was that similar to your experience? You, I, know, I know you said somewhere that you... Um, saw him on those debates initially yeah around that oh, same time yeah for sure well i well you know at the time obviously the war the war in iraq was was going on and in full force and yeah i mean i was i was just kind of starting to f- just become aware of things like i was tr- learning a lot about middle eastern history at the time and in and, and history class and and yeah i was getting really pissed off i guess i mean i you know there was a documentary by bill moyers i forget what it's called exactly buying the war 
Yeah, that's it. That's and, a banger. Uh, yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah, and I watched that. Um, it was sort of like realizing that you're in the Matrix or something. Because um, <laughs> I was like, just just learned about how just fucked up everything is, basically. Um, and how, you know, all these media channels really sold the war and, you know, just 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 being fed lies by... Uh, the, the the White House and um, and I'm including MSNBC in there and Fox and all these these channels, um, yeah. So I was in a kind of a, a very upset state um, and yeah. And my my friend uh, ZT he sent me it was the early days of YouTube I think and um, he sent me some of the the clips of Mike uh, talking out there. <laughs> you know, lambasting everybody basically on those debates. And yeah, um, I fell in love with the guy. He was really speaking to my anger at the time and, you know, educating me on a lot of issues that I hadn't really thought about, including the war on drugs. I remember that debate you're talking about with Tavis. Um, And, you know, it was really quite illuminating and just hearing his passion um, talking about how the war on drugs has has destroyed our inner cities. Um, I mean, if we were going to talk about, you know, equality and, and race relations and, um, you know, you can't not talk about the war on drugs. So, um, so yeah. And then, and then obviously his, his comments on the Iraq war um, and in relation to his experience during the Vietnam war and opposition to, to those policies and that, that, um, that travesty and tragedy, um, yeah, I mean, it was really illuminating because, you know, when you're a kid, or at least for me, I didn't really think to to question, you know, if someone said that they're against the war, you know, I didn't really think, well, they're, they're lying through their teeth. Um, but, you know, when he went up there and was pointing at Hillary Clinton, shame on you and, and, and telling other candidates, like, um, here's a strategy to end the war now. And you have to vote on the war every day and um, and just show the American people and just every single day you lose the vote. But you'll see who's who's really for and who's really against. And I remember Tim Russert said, are you saying that you expect these candidates to suspend their campaigns and go and vote on the war? And he <laughs> said, well, if it stops the killing, my God, yes. Um, You're telling Chris Dodd he can't go to a Starbucks in Iowa City and tell people about his tax plan? <laughs> Right, exactly. It, it, More just, important things. Yeah, and then and so that in the context of that that Moyers documentary and just like seeing how this the whole game is played and Mike just like calling people out. I really, I mean, it really was very uh, very illuminating for me. So um, so I credit Mike with sort of a, a, sort of being a very instrumental part of um, you know awaken, awakening me, I, I suppose. And um, yeah, I never. Uh, I'm not sure I fully, fully expressed that to him, you know, how thankful I am for that, but he probably knew in some, some level, but yeah. And so I was just, you know, um, ever since then I was, became very, very anti, you know, war machine and, and war on drugs and, and um, you know, there was a plethora of other issues, but, but yeah. And I, I followed Mike for, you know, just many years. I always wanted to meet him and, um, and do something with him and, Thankfully, we were able to to do this project together. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny because not to get too hung up on that debate in particular, but that is includes that famous clip where Joe Biden is talking about AIDS, which always That's you right. know is a, a signal things are going to go well. Joe Biden talking <laughs> about AIDS, and he said it's the responsibility of the white community to educate the black community and go to parks and get tested for AIDS. And he says, I got tested. I know Barack got tested. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Good that friends. Supremely <laughs> cringe. That yeah. was back when I was like, he would never be president. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's amazing about, and that's such an amazing moment because, uh, Obama ended up choosing him as his VP and was like, that is the man who I need. Because that's what, you know, every most white Americans want is to you say something idiotic and you have your black friend say it's OK. And like, exactly. tapped into that He's psychology right. so well. I <laughs> did get tested. <laughs> um, exactly. It's funny because, you know, Joe Biden and Gravel were colleagues at one time. And so exactly. he yeah. remembered him and uh, mm-hmm. thought he didn't take him seriously. Hillary Clinton, who he criticized for hawkish uh, stance on Iran, um, yeah. probably didn't take him seriously and expected. This is what I was thinking about today, too. She must have expected in 2015 when she started her next presidential campaign and when Bernie Sanders announced he was going to challenge her, that he was going to be another Mike Gravel, that uh, mm-hmm. that this is just is, a, you know, an old gadfly as the mm-hmm. title of your movie, but uh, who's not going to be taken seriously uh, by mainstream media. But, you know, public opinion had changed and all those issues that Gravel had raised in 2007, 2008 yeah. were now uh, taken a lot more seriously yeah, by I the, think- the public. I think you're probably right about that. And uh, like many, many, many things, Hillary didn't think they were serious. Um, and like, including visiting Wisconsin, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a series of miscalculations. I'm sure she thought Bernie would be similar to Mike. Um, yeah. So, but, and I, and I imagine that she felt that, well, we're going to handle Bernie just like we handled Mike, which is um, laugh, laugh. Yeah laugh at them and uh use your charming laugh that america (laughs) loves (laughs) right yeah yeah uh it's the kill stroke but yeah i know and i'm 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 really thankful for bernie and but you know i i do think that um i don't know maybe maybe it's not fair but i think mike may have walked so that bernie could run potentially Mm. um but people look back on those debates and they're like yeah that guy was right i didn't even know about him back then but you know, I think the the climate is much, you know, more receptive right now. I think the left is is more receptive and more energized. Um, there's more people in that in the in those groups um, to hear messages like things that Mike said, and and then pave the way for Bernie to to have um, you know much more success. Unfortunately, he was you know of course uh, shot down basically. He was um, put into a state of terror. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And, um, but Mike, uh, really loved Bernie. And I remember talking to him, uh, in 20, uh, yeah, I guess it was during the, the Hillary Bernie, uh, primary 2015 or something. And, um, he was sure that Bernie was going to, going to win. He said, he said that Hillary was going to collapse on her, under her own corruption and that Bernie is, is the equivalent of the next George Washington. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've got that 
recording safe somewhere. And did but, they know uh, each other at all? I know they uh, in the movie they meet at the end, but did were they? Um, they you know they weren't very close, but I think they had met each other before. Um, but it wasn't like uh like he didn't you know wasn't calling him up or anything like that. They weren't they weren't like old buddies by any means, but they definitely knew each other. They definitely respected each other. They had spoken before, um, but I think that's about the extent of it. You know. Right. I, I was glad in the in the movie to learn that this is kind of the arc and that he uh his vision included Bernie because um nothing wrong with this by any means, but uh when he came on our show, we were interviewing him and I think I'm seeing now through the story of the movie how she was such a strategic ally. At one point he just was like, you know, he mentioned Tulsi and he was like, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. vote for Tulsi if not me or something. And I kind of raised my eyebrows, I was like Tulsi, huh? Like, not right. you know, again, not to make this like a huge anti-Tulsi thing because I get it now. But like, uh, you know, I was always kind of hoping he was a that he saw what we saw in Bernie. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I think he was of two minds. You know, of, of basically, um, he lo- he loved Bernie and he loved Tulsi. I think he he really liked Tulsi's anti-war stance. And I'm not sure how he would feel right now. I you know about her. Um, I, I think, I think he really saw her as a, as a, as a next generation anti-military industrial complex type figure who, if would adopt his direct democracy platform would be like the perfect, you know, successor to his cause. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I give, I do give Tulsi credit that she spoke against the war machine on, on a big platform, spoke about the military industrial complex, um, you know, I'm I'm not gonna endorse all of her policies or anything like that. I wouldn't endorse any all of anyone's policies, probably. But um, but yeah, I mean, it all along he he saw Bernie and eventually, you know, came to agree with the kids that Bernie was the the best vessel to carry on, you know, their their ideals um to run for president. So so yeah, I mean, you know, and in the end he we sort of overshadow it in the film, but he did do a double endorsement of Bernie and Tulsi. So, which was kind mm. of, which was kind of weird. I think it kind of ticked off the Tulsi people um, because they really promoted the, the Bernie endorsement more. Um, and I think, you know, the Tulsi people were, were confused and upset, but yeah. you know, well, I think by it. now, uh, <laughs> I think yeah. the <laughs> Bernie people have been vindicated on that, that mm-hmm. question. Tulsi or Bernie. But. Oh yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, Mike, Mike would agree with that as well. Yeah. Um, but so taking it to 2019, 2020, what was the impetus behind that run? Because there was, you know, a left flank um, mm-hmm. in a way that there was not in previous elections mm-hmm. uh, by 20, 2019. So what was the impetus behind him running uh, and by the teens encouraging him to run? And how Mm -hmm. did you link up with them and and start to make this movie? Yeah, well, I think the impetus was, I mean, if you you remember, basically everyone was throwing their hat in and not a lot of of people that were very promising in terms of idealism. Um, You know, a lot of, I mean, you, you look at Congress and, you know, I I you could count on a half a finger probably who's who's not fully bought and paid for. Um so you know the kids definitely saw 
uh, a very disappointing uh, lineup. And yeah, I mean that obviously they they never were intending for Mike to win the the presidency, but they did want to push uh, their ideas, you know, into the conversation. And they knew Bernie was running, but even to make Bernie seem more moderate in a way, like yeah. like by pushing really far leftist ideas and putting them into the into the you know into the conversation then that kind of would make Bernie seem like a more moderate in a way um, just, you know, relative to what they're, they're, they're saying and hopefully push Bernie more to the left. So, so, you know, they called Mike and well, you know, backtracking, they, you know, they were kind of looking at like, how, how can we, how can we get involved? How, what can we do? And they, you know, had become familiar with Mike Gravel and they thought this would, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we got, Mike back on the debate stage, like that would be the coolest thing ever. So yeah, so that's, that's the impetus. And so they called him and, and he, uh, he kind of, <laughs> well, he was, he, he's all, he loves getting phone calls. So, but he was <laughs> um, it's like Noam Chomsky with emails, this guy. In I, I called him. I actually talked to him on the phone when yeah. I, I, so I emailed him to ask, will you do our podcast? He's like, I'd love to give me a call. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Mike. He was so receptive because, because, you know, I, I have only seen him on the debates where he's like saying shame on you, Hillary, like the military, you know, so I was, you know, when I finally got his phone number, I was a little, you know, just a little scared. Like, is he going to yell at me or yeah, I don't know. Just, you know, a young, young person kind of shame like, on you film documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Calling an old man. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're part of the system. Um, I was like, yeah. So I, so I called him and he, he's just so, so warm. It's just the nicest guy. He, you know, I'm, I actually met him not to, not to sidetrack, but I met him for the first time in like 20, 14 or so for a different documentary i just i like made an excuse to like i needed an interview with microville um so i got i got to, so i got his number for an environmental piece and i called him and um and he was like yeah you guys should i was i was in california at the time he said you guys should come over so so we brought my my camera and my a couple friends and actually went to his house met his wife whitney that was when he was living uh, in the Bay area and um, went to his little apartment and uh, yeah, his, his wife uh, made us all these sandwiches and he was just showing us the old Pentagon papers and what kind of great... sandwiches are we talking? We are talking. Um, oh gosh. They were like fig cream Whoa. cheese. Fig. Yes. Fig, fig cream cheese sandwiches. And they were delicious. Yeah. Was it your birthday? <laughs> it was it felt like, yeah, they and they made like hundreds of them. <laughs> I felt Jesus. like I mean, we were like just stuffing our faces, you know, and, and the you know, I'm like, I'm full. And they're like, What? You can't be full. So we kept eating. But no, we just had the, the, the best time. And and you know, it was the, it was the opposite of of how he treats Hillary Clinton. You know, he yeah, of course. I mean, and that was that was a silly You're very different like, than Hillary Clinton. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah, I know. It was it was like, well, I was, you know, in my early 20s, I was probably had a little less confidence um back then. So it was it was probably a silly fear. But um, but anyways, that was awesome. That was like uh a life moment for sure. And um, anyway, so the kids um they called him, he said do you have any idea how old I am? And, you know, also my wife is not going to be for this because the, the 08 campaign 
was tough for them. I mean, they, you know, it was, you know, yeah. financially it was tough. Emotionally it was tough. Um, it was also tough, you know, health wise, M- Mike had been losing, uh, he had neuropathy developing, he'd been developing neuropathy. And so he was, you know, not feeling his feet basically you know, during that 08 cycle. So that was, you know, it was rough. And the idea of doing that again, <laughs> you know, 10 years later or whatever it was, um, was not, you know, it was, it was challenging to, to wrap your head around it, you know, just with the, with the whole situation, but the kids, they said, look, you don't have to leave the house, you know, unless we get into the debates and, um, you know, we, we don't care how old you are. It's just about your ideas. Right. And, uh, he said, all right, well, I'm, I think this is a good idea. Let's do it. You guys understand Twitter and all this new stuff. And you can just, we can promote direct democracy and and anti-war and all that anti-nuclear and you guys can kind of do what, you know, you guys have to do it basically. Um, and you have to convince my wife first. So, so they were able to convince Whitney and, um, yeah. And then it was, it was, then it was just a, a process of memifying Mike and sort of updating his, uh, or just reintroducing him in a new way to a new generation with new technology, um, to a much more receptive population, I think, um, than there was in 07, 08. The idea is sound to add more left voices to the debate to just kind of shore up the numbers. I remember watching the first one um, before he's on there where uh, this is before Warren has really distinguished herself from the Bernie flank of the Democratic Party. And it seemed like they were like back to back, just taking blows from like seven or eight people in a row. When you do the questions, you go down the line for every single candidate and having another guy in there would help. Or at least even if you don't make it onto the debate, knowing that there are other left wing candidates is like, OK, we do have to recognize you and we can't all just gang up on the personality of this one old man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely agree. And, I, you know, call me crazy, but if, if we're talking about a debate, I would like to hear perspectives like from interesting people, even if they're not necessarily going to win. But like if we're talking about ideas and we're debating ideas, that's why I loved, you know, having Marianne Williamson up there. Look, they got Tim Ryan. Yeah. Who else do you yeah. need? The guy I forgot existed until I watched this movie again. I know. There, there are a collection of people that will be forgotten by history unless you watch my movie. Um, <laughs> Delaney is definitely one of them. I hope he watches it. Um, but I actually, you know, I mean, actually, you know, I, every time I watch the movie, I feel a little bit bad for John Delaney. We, they, they really crushed him, but he deserved it. But um, The slide photo. Of just him on that slide with a oh yeah in a spacious look on his face like yeah I, I know bad for him when I watched the film I it made me nostalgic for yeah. making fun of him yeah <laughs> he really does foil. yeah and he makes you know me very angry as with anyone with our politics mm-hmm. but but one well, of the criticisms I think I would have or I had with Bernie is that he pulled punches, right? Especially with Biden. He didn't mm-hmm. He didn't hit back right. very strongly. And maybe right. that ultimately is the reason I'm not running the Bernie campaign is because I would tell him to go for the jugular and that would have backfired because the same <laughs> That's leeway, what it is. The same leeway is just not allowed for progressive candidates. If, you know, you listen to David Simon, the tiny, tiny amount of criticism offered to uh, – Hillary yeah. Clinton from Bernie in 2016 was just t- totally disqualifying. 
Just yeah. the cost of the election, actually. Right. It's just a completely absurd. It? Right. <laughs> based like completely absurd compared to what actually came out of his mouth and his tweets and stuff. But uh, this candidacy allowed for um, a forum for people to not pull punches from the left and have a yeah. big, big platform and hit back. Uh, against these, you know, corporate. Yeah, ghouls. it was a heavy gun, you know, uh, could fight dirty with the Gravel campaign and get in there. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I love Bernie. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, not electing Bernie was like something out of a sci fi novel where like the society like has like a little possibility of <laughs> saving itself. And then they're like, no, we're going to elect the like guys asleep. But uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's true. There's, you know, there's so many of these corporatist candidates up there and they're all military industrial complex people. And they're, they're nice. They're probably nice people, honestly. Like, I mean, you know, to be a politician, but, but they're corrupt and they're, uh, you know, somehow fundamentally evil. Um, and then you have like Bernie, like one guy. Uh, so it was refreshing this time to see, you know, Marianne, even, you know, I know people have opinions about Andrew Yang, but I thought he had interesting ideas uh, out there. And, and I, you know, I just like, I just remember 2008 once the primary field narrowed and it was just Hillary and Brock. And I hated those debates so much. They, they literally didn't disagree on anything. Yeah. It was just like, like diet Coke or Coke. Right. But they were incredibly vicious, especially compared to 2016. It was like the inverse and opposite. You know, 2016 was just so cordial, but like vehement disagreement over policies. But in 2008, it was very nasty, personal, often Mm -hmm. racist stuff, but no real disagreement on on substantive issues. Such dirty campaigning, but so much ado about nothing. It was like, God, like we're. And that's that's how our whole system is designed within the media just, of course, feeds it is we want we want we want a battle, but not a battle of ideas. We want a battle yeah. of these people, these personalities, the the Clinton machine versus the new black senator, junior senator. You know, it's like it's just it's like a game. Show. You know, obviously we know this, but yeah. um, but, you know, the idea of 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 just having interesting people. I mean, I mean, this may be a little too crazy, but like, I would love to have like a philosopher and like, I don't know, like people that are interesting to like, just at least we can talk about what is our country? What does it mean? What are, what are like, what are other ideas? Like, you know, instead of these basically law school uh, corporatists who are just trained to just, just bullshit us. Um, I don't know, but Call me crazy, but uh, yeah. So I mean, I think it would have been beautiful to have Mike up on the stage. Um, it would have been really fun, honestly. But um, but yeah, I mean, Bernie Bernie is much more of a tame. You know, he's he, he's I love him, but he's definitely more. He's a team player, right? And and that's just, that's his political choice, and it's it has probably allowed him to get to where he is, frankly. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, yeah, I mean, obviously he was unable to to defeat the conspiracy against him at the, at the end there before Super Tuesday, which was tragic. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, I think, I think the Gravel campaign had some freedom, like it was allowed to just be kind of crazy, um, you know, and just 
be more out there and 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 there's there was a big audience for that um and yeah i don't know it was it's it's i don't want to overstate it's it's uh influence i think it had a had a, had a real impact but i mean it was for me just it was just, it was a hell of a lot of fun to to cover and to i don't know i mean I wanted to get involved in the election, but I was just like, it's whatever I do, it's going to be super depressing. Um, but this, this project really allowed me to, to be happy and fun, you know, throughout the whole thing and a little, a little light about it while also sort of being involved. So, so yeah. And, uh, you get pretty early access to, you know, the teens doing this stuff in, in the movie. How did you originally get in touch with them? Did they reach out to you or, or how did that relationship begin? Well, okay, so yes, I, th- I mean, one of the special things is that we were able to to actually film the whole thing even before they met Mike in person. Um, so what I was doing was, I mean, I was like emailing the the kids and and trying to I was trying to find their information, um, and I couldn't get through to them, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to call Mike. So I called Mike. And he was like, yes, um, here's their contact information. Sounds great. You know, cause I had met him like five years earlier, as, as I said. And um, yeah. And then, and then I called David Ox, I think. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. We saw your emails. <laughs> um, we didn't answer. Them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was funny to us. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, well, look, I mean, these kids are super smart, but they're, they're also in high school. Like, I mean, I mean, I can't imagine they're starting to get press and all these things. So like, I don't blame them for, for ignoring my email, you know, I, I want to do a documentary. Um, you know, I, 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 when I was their age, like even now, like I, I miss a lot of things, but yeah. So, um, so yeah, Mike, Mike connected me with them personally. And then, and then, yeah. And then, so I said, look, I, I got to like find money, but like, I think I can, I can like fly out there and film you guys before you meet Mike next week. And that was in early 2019. And um, so, yeah. And then they said, they said, great, let's do it. And then, and then the rest is history, but actually there was some little behind the scenes drama because Ooh. HBO, uh, Vice, the show Vice, when it was back on HBO, um, they were, they were doing a story about Mike in the campaign and they like, didn't want me there. Um, oh no. Yeah. So they, they sort of like, we we're like intervening um, at the last second, you know, right before I was going to fly out. And, um, and I had to like fight them basically. Um, and I had to bring Mike in actually, cause the kids were like, you know, it was their first foray into, into all this. And they, you know, that, that HBO coverage was important at that early stage. And I totally agreed that they needed that. Um, and this I said, like, uh, no, we're sending an alt comic to do whippets with micro. <laughs> <No. laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I told the kid if they said, look, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know what to do. Like HBO doesn't want you there and they don't want you to be there at the airport when we meet Mike, etc." And I said, look, we're doing different things. Um, you're going to want someone on your side to like film the press filming you. Mm. I'll say that. And, and, and I also said, look, you guys have the power. Like they're, they want you, right. Obviously you have, you, you have more power than you realize, like, don't let them scare you. 
Um, and then I called Mike, like told him the situation and he was like, well, why can't we all just be together? Like they can have cameras over there and you can have the cameras. Over. I said, yeah, that's, I'm yeah, totally. I'm, <laughs> I'm all good with that. So, um, so I just killed those HBO guys with kindness. Honestly, I was just super nice. I was like, if you guys want to stay at our Airbnb, like it's totally cool. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't think this guy knew how to deal with me. Um, but ultimately it was fine. And, and then the story they ended up putting out was kind of a slam piece actually. So I was happy. Yeah. So the kids, I think were ultimately happy that I was there and could sort of set the record straight. It became like a nine 11 truther and like kids taking advantage of an old man story, um, which was, that sucked honestly. And they didn't even, they didn't even mention that they're trying to get to the donor goal, the 65,000, which I was like, well, yeah, that's fucked up. Um, so, so anyways, we, we were able to all film together and, uh, there was peace. <laughs> I didn't, I don't think I blew up any bridges with, with, with those guys, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's just a little, a little behind the scenes, uh, stuff, the games that get played, you know? Yeah. Was it off putting actually seeing them for the first time? Cause the main thing with your movie is like, I understand the concept of the Gravel teens, but then when you look at them, you're like. They're so small. <laughs> Put them in your pocket. How are they out there doing stuff? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Well, well, one thing I was like, you know, I was when I started the product, I was twenty, about thirty, I guess, almost thirty. And but I, you know, I was reading what they were doing, and I was talking to them on the phone, and I was like, yeah, like we're like the same. And then I, you know, meet them, and I'm like, no, I'm a lot older. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. I'm an old guy now. Like, you you <laughs> gotta have these moments in your life when you're like, I'm actually kind of old. Um, uh, I'm in no way a teen, right? Of any stripe. No, yeah. So I mean, so yeah, they're you know, it's like funny things. Like I forgot my toothbrush, you know, stuff like that, like kid stuff. And then, um, and like we're not old enough to rent a car, stuff like that. <laughs> and then it's like, then they're like quoting Rawls and like philosophy and like you know stuff that I, I don't even know I couldn't even explain but super smart these guys are super smart the heavyweight intellectuals who can who can really speak uh, at a high a very very high level uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to speak with them but Henry Williams in particular he can talk for hours and and it's all great it's like all gold like I remember at the Miami debates uh we got back to the hotel and it was like I don't know. It was like 2 a.m. or something. And, and we had to do final interviews. And I'm like, all right, I hope I'm hoping that Henry's interview is like 15 minutes because I'm dead. Um, anyways, Henry sits down for the interview, chugs a Red Bull. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> and then we sit down, buckle up for about a two hour interview. And it's all really good material. The hardest part about editing was um, was probably isolating Henry's best you know dialogue and cut figure out what to cut because he's there's just hours and hours and hours of like really brilliant brilliant material um but you obviously can't use most of it so um but yeah i don't know if i answered your question (laughs) but uh but no i I mean yeah there's it was always it was always just really kind of funny to me like how young they were and and how old mike was and just and then i'm kind of like sort of 
not quite in the perfectly in the middle, but kind of a middle generational person who was like involved with Mike a, a while ago. And uh-huh. um, I don't know, it was just, it was like multiple generations sort of working together and doing something kind of wacky. Um, I don't know. It was, it was great. It, it's, it's cool seeing people that young who are, because you always see like extra, like teenagers who are involved in the activist side of politics. I feel like they're well represented in media coverage of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, for like actual democ- democratic political establishment coverage, there are not very many young people that interested in that kind of thing. And the ones that are, are a lot of the time. And I mean, this is just my opinion, but careerists, like people are like, I would like to be on CNN when I'm 30, I will go into politics. And it's cool seeing that there are other people who are like, no, we can we can do something with this. And I'm smart and I know how to get involved and I'm going to put myself out there. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was it was really great. And also they were really, I think, brave or maybe they were too young to to be cautious in a way like they were sort of reckless and. You know, Henry said the way everyone was treating you guys the entire time when you kept going to meetings and uh, people were pulling them aside to say, don't do any pranks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. Yeah. The Tulsi people, they were really scared. They were terrified yeah. of the pranks. Yes, they were. Yeah. <laughs> well, because because the, the, the Tulsi people like invited Mike Gravel and his wife, Whitney, to the debate as audience members. And Mike said, we're not going, um, but uh, give the tickets to the kids. So. So they had to get the tickets to the kids. And yeah, th- there were multiple people, multiple emails and, and verbal uh, situations where the, the Tulsi staff was like, listen, you can't, you know, the, the, the candidate will get docked time to speak, you know, if you do anything. And so, so that's where the whole joke was that, well, they were telling Mike and Mike, Mike was like, well, they just think you're sophomoric and the campaign sophomoric. And, um, and also don't do anything because I cherish my, my friendship with Tulsi. And he said, well, the, the, the pie that I brought is unrelated. They said, <laughs> I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think Mike laughed at that, but, um, but we yeah. just brought some toilet paper, banana cream pies and eggs or just <laughs> right. hanging out. Right. Which they were thoroughly pat down for before they were like, right. well, it seemed it. like the DNC was super paranoid that they were going to do something too. And they were like leaning on the Tulsi campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think the Tulsi campaign got like noticed notices from from the DNC because they they know the DNC is very aware of Mike Carvel. They don't like him. Uh, Howard Dean, who was the chair back in the 08, you know, Mike overheard Howard Dean uh, like saying, we got to get that guy hell off the stage. Um, and then the next debate he was off. So. I have a question about yeah. that. I was wondering this watching the movie, you know, so yeah. spoilers if you have not seen the film or history <laughs> in motion. But, uh, you know, what happens is he, he gets to the 65,000 donor mark that you need to technically be on stage. But then this th- crazy thing happens out of left field, which is that there are so many candidates on the that have re- reached the other requirement, the one percent polling that he actually isn't allowed on the stage because the whole stage is filled up. Mm-hmm. Do you think because the DNC is aware of Mike Ravel, it does not want him on the stage that something happened there to make that happen. Mm. I think, well, 
Is this conspiratorial thinking or like, like ju- well, not necessarily, but I mean, if you're saying that we're the rules designed just to prevent Microvel to get on stage, I would not agree with that, but I would agree. And it's the, the, the Dave Weigel, Washington post guy. He's, he's actually one of the, one of the few good pro- political journalists that I really like. Um, he said, he said that was it, does, were these rules designed to keep someone like Mike Gravel off the stage? Absolutely. So, you know, I wouldn't say that it was per, just designed for to prevent Mike, but but someone like Mike. So, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I would say that the the rules, I mean, the polling rule, you know, really kind of sucked because the kids, you know, they they didn't really realize how hard it would be to get actually on polls. That's that's kind of the game. I mean, you got you got even before De Blasio. I mean, you have like Oprah on polls. It's like she's not even running. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, it's like what? Oh, Michelle Obama on the poll. It's like, why is she on the poll? Like, that, that's bullshit. Like, like, I don't know. And then, and then, you know, just your your fame makes you poll, right? You know, just just how well you're known is it? You know, so I think you know you got De Blasio up on stage, and he's got I don't know. It was a couple thousand donors or something like that. The, the sitting who mayor are of these York? people who are donating to Bill de Blasio? That, that, right, giving most confusing every day. It's the milk lobby. Yeah. They want to forward the largest Democrat they can. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So it was just you know. It, so yeah. So so then they were like, all right. Well, we only have twenty spots on the on the stage, um, and if they were pull, you know, it doesn't matter if they were getting the donations required but only if they're polling so that that was weighed heavily, you know, more heavily than um, the donors. So it was like, well, so then that's where the whole drop out Delaney campaign came from, which was, you know, partly like to like troll um, a like boring, corrupt dude. But, um, but also like it was somewhat strategic because if De- Delaney did drop out and listen to the, many, many thousands of people who wanted him to, um, then Mike would have been on stage. Mm. Not to spoil. If I'm spoiling. Yeah. Too <laughs> he, doesn't, he unfortunately does not make it to, to the debates, but I, I, yeah. What do you think that debate would have been like? If you had um, gotten, it would have been a very entertaining, um, <laughs> It's hard to say. I mean, I think I think Mike would have delivered, honestly. I mean, it would have been, you know, his health was declining, but we we would have gotten him there. And I think he would have he would have spoken about direct democracy. That would be his main thing. And he would have gotten up there. And no matter what the question was, he would have tied it back to the only way to like get any of this done or to, you know, defeat the military industrial complex, any of that is you need to have a, you know, his idea was a fourth branch of government, which would be a people's legislate legislature um, that could be the, that would be the senior partner of all the branches. So um, it's, you know, it's a very, very ambitious um, thing, but that was his life's work in the end. And um, he wrote a book about it. uh, uh, The, Broken, maybe have to look it up for me, but it's it's uh, basically about direct democracy, um, and uh, yeah, people should check it out. But it's it's just his idea of how how the language could work in the Constitution, um, 
he was definitely open for other ideas. But yeah, his, the most citizen important thing power. for him was introducing that. Hmm? Is it citizen power? No, that's the old one. It was. Is it the uh, failure of representative government and the solution? That's right. The failure of representative yeah. government and the solution. Thank you. Right. Uh, yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to to make sure to get to that, which is uh, his big life's work, as you said, which is something I go back and forth on because I'm not sure how I've it's quintessential Mike Ravel because yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about it. But I'm glad that he has been there raising the issue, mm-hmm. uh, which is that there should be I don't know if he would wants to do away with the uh, with Congress, but. He does at least want to supersede it with the power of citizens to of America to uh, introduce legislation and approve it or disapprove of it mm-hmm. by uh, via referendum. And and part of me is like, well, you that seems like kind of a weird goal to have when you still have like the bourgeois state and you would need to dismantle that first and maybe this would replace it. But maybe this would coincide with that project as well. Mm-hmm. Um but how did the, do you know how he got this idea and um, how it how it developed? Um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure how he originally got it. I know he looked at the Swiss government as a, as an example, um, but he really he believed and he spoke about this. He said, you know, we're not truly a democracy, uh, and which is true. I think there's there's a myth you know, in American culture that we are a democracy, you know, we're, we're a democratic Republic uh, bought and paid for by the military industrial complex. Um, no. So um, yeah, but I think, you know, he, and he's, I mean, I have in my closet here, I have hundreds of hours of tapes and they're not, they're not VHS. They're like an older VHS. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but um Anyways, they're all like scholars and research. And I mean, he he has put in many, many, many thousands of hours of work into, into the, the philosophy behind direct democracy as he sees it in America. And he believed that um, that if it's like the final step of the American revolution and that if, if we were to implement it, it would spread like a wildfire throughout the world. Um, so, you know, I think... I think he just, you know, he was in the Senate. He was a two-term senator. He, um, you know, he saw the corruption. He saw what happened when he read the Pentagon Papers and the backlash. And and then he saw America continue to make the same mistakes that they made in Vietnam. Um, and uh, he just cannot see a, a way for our current system to be just and to do the right thing. Um, he, he, I think that's where it comes from. I mean, at least, in, you know, and in, in where the idea that this is the only solution, I, I just, he, he, he can't see a way for our current system to, to do, to pass. You know, I think he thinks, you know, he would, he, he thought that, you know, some good things could happen, but like the structural, uh, you know, the structural change that's necessary for a truly like equal society that is, you know, rooted in peace um, cannot be done because of, because everything's gamed, you know, because right. of money, because of interest. And the only way to, to, to fix that would be to have, you know, the people being able to, to keep other branches in check. So I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't know if it's it's the the way. I, I know it's very very difficult to to do that, 
Uh, it would require like a huge, you know, like 200 million people, you know, demanding it or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, but I think, I still think it's worth talking about. Like, you know, I think it's in a more general sense, it's important. I mean, we should be talking about how do we make our nation more democratic because we're not that democratic. I mean, a couple things, but, you know, I think even if you don't agree that we should do this, we, we should at least be talking about that. We're not really a democracy. Yeah. Like yeah. it's important to talk about, like, can, can, can we not talk about it? Like, I, so that, that I think is, would be the best, the greatest piece of, of Mike being up there. And also he would be just badass, of course, as always, I think he would have been on it on his top game. You know, I mean, you know, he, he would be able to, to turn on and be really sharp, uh, you know, up to the very last moments. So, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but. Uh, no, I think, yeah, I think it's it, it definitely important to raise and to, to point out the problems with uh, the nation state. And, um, you know, I think the piece I might add to, to his proposal or have it work in tandem with is the need to abolish capitalism, which uh, mm-hmm. I think he, towards the end of his life, was a little bit more sympathetic to. Um, but as we're rounding out here, um, we got the Gravel Institute, you know, yeah. whatever you think of the campaign, I think it's pretty, uh, you know, positive that we now have a, if nothing else, a YouTube channel that is fighting the Prager use of the world and sort of offering people who are not tuned into politics an alternative view that they wouldn't get from a lot of other platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm curious what you think about the, and I'm, you know, definitely accused of being a horse race junkie or whatever. And I, I accept that label, but uh, for 2024, um, I think perhaps the best case scenario is that we at least get a protest candidate to challenge either Biden or uh-huh. Harris. Who do you think that might be and, and how are they going to go about it? I mean, it's a great question. I think someone from the left certainly needs to primary uh, Joe. If he's if Joe's really going to run or whoever's Kamala. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, Kamala's doomed to win a general election for sure. But um, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm I think honestly, like people like Bernie. I mean, honestly, I go back to classic Bernie, but um I don't know, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of just I think Bernie Bernie's the strongest guy probably to do that. I don't Maybe know. Maybe we should get some precocious teens to go call <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I mean, AO, I, I don't know how old AOC is right now, but maybe she could do She's it. She's seventeen. She's yeah. seventeen. <laughs> right. Well, She's I'm thinking teens. now. I'm like I feel like nobody's going to launch a serious campaign, but right, we could get I don't yeah. know some. Noam Chomsky or somebody to to at least that would be fun. I mean, they will run. I mean, I mean, maybe maybe you know someone like Crystal Ball would be a good debater. Um, I don't know. It's 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 such a wasteland and pe- for people that are actually in power right now in terms of yeah. like a really reliable progressive, you know, like a progressive lion, you know, or a lioness, um, like like Mike was, I mean, right. you know, I mean, if you're just doing protest candidates, why don't you just like 
make make some really cool celebrity go in and just yell about Cynthia it. Now we'll get more maybe. press attention. Yeah, I mean, even more relevant than Cynthia Nixon. <laughs> get like uh, uh, Olivia Rodrigo on the debate stage <laughs> yeah. before she's blown out of the water. It will get the most clicks that has ever been involved in a Democratic primary. I mean, we're yeah. living in a post-Trump world, so that is the answer to that question, right? If there's nobody mm-hmm. who has a political career, yeah. I mean. You have Andrew Yang, you know, in the last election, and he's not like a progressive guy, but but nobody really raised an eyebrow about Mm -hmm. the fact that he had never held office or anything because we were just like, oh, yeah, you Mm -hmm. can do that now. Yeah. So let's get weird. And he just keeps running for office. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just like Beto. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's it's I I hope that they don't uh, make rules that are impossible. I mean, I think that the last rules were sort of the most open. Right. they've done at, in, in anything that I know of. Um, so I'm just, I hope that they don't, I hope that the democratic party isn't like, well, we don't want Yang's and Marianne Williamson's and potentially Mike Gravel's. Um So we're going to just lock this down again. Like we, we used to, which is very possible. I mean, yeah. It, how rude of us would it be to stop the democratic death spiral before the party just completely explodes? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. They're doing great right now. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of the pandemic reading the foundation books and I just, I mean, I recommend them, but I love sci-fi cause you just, it's fiction, but it's like so true. Um, yeah. You know, you, we should run clones. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, it's just you know, the poor, yeah, the Democratic Party. Should, maybe is it better just for it to just 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 implode faster, or to try to save it and make it make the inevitability slower? I don't know, but um, all I know is that I'm hoping that some there will be a quixotic, uh, wacky campaign that I'll be able to to cover again. Yeah, um, here's hoping. <laughs> but until uh, then, uh, where can people find your work and you? Yeah. Um, well, we just launched on like all the major uh, internet VOD uh, platforms like um, Apple and Amazon Prime, uh, Vudu, YouTube, stuff like that. Um, we're on cable VOD as well. And um, if you need a DVD, which a lot of people are emailing me that they want a DVD, <laughs> um, huh. you, you can get one on Amazon. So, um, so yeah, we're you know, we're working with Gravitas and uh, our distributor and um, we're pretty much, you know, self moving this whole thing. So, so any support, you know, is, is very helpful. Um, and yeah, I, I think I really hope you enjoy the movie because it's, it's not depressing. I mean, you can see it in some, some kind of depressing lens, but it's just funny and, and, and light and it's about serious things, but it's also kind of just, whimsical i think and i think it's an easy watch so it's and i also i don't know if anyone watched the mayor pete documentary i don't want to slam slam that but I do. um it, yeah it's 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 sort of i consider it like the 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 chaotic fun antithesis to the the mayor pete film so uh yeah anyways there you go oh, well the movie's called american gadfly and yeah you can get it uh you can check it out all right sky well sky well excuse me thank you so much for joining us thank you guys this has been a lot of fun uh, what if we did plugs? plugs? Let's do plugs. Um, I have a live show on the 18th at the gutter in Greenpoint, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, NYC. It's 
the first edition of my new stand-up show. It's called Meat Space because it's IRL, like in uh, Meat Space. Get it? Um, oh. Alex is going to be on it. Also, it's my birthday. You should come hang out. There's a ticket link in the bio. Also, it might get canceled because of Omicron, but I still have to promote it as if it's actually happening. <laughs> Which it is as of now. Yeah, it is as of now. Right. You might as well get one anyway. You'll get a refund. I'm also going on tour with Eve Six in the spring. Same rule applies. Omicron. That's it. Omicron. Anders? I'm going on tour with Eve Seven. Uh, damn. Fine. Oh, wow. That sounds even better. <laughs> one better. I'm going to see Anders' tour. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, I'm at Anders Lee here on Twitter, Dursley1, Instagram. Check out Redacted Tonight. My other job, and uh, you know we're doing a film episode this week, and we're talking about spectacles, and of course that's not all too radical politics, or even most of radical politics, but I think it uh, serves an important role. And one thing that I would promote on that front is the movie National Champions, which uh, I really enjoyed. Not a perfect film, but I think a, a good, solid, good film about a labor strike. Uh, for a national championship bowl game because student-athletes do not get a fair share. They don't get compensated for their labor. So this is about um, what if they went on strike and it would be cool. And it's a conversation that I think the country needs to have. And I think a way to do that is by checking out this film. Uh, You can see it, I think, in some theaters or rent it as I did for like 20 bucks, but it was worth it. It's a good movie. With, uh, Get some friends together. Yeah, watch it. Not that bad between four people. Yes. But a, but a thing you can do in Meat Space is attend, if you're in New York City, uh, something that Alex will tell you about right now. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> little segue. Segue for the blog. Are you in Meat Space? That was what I was going to start with. Um, there is a big EcoSoch event next thursday january 13th uh fucking at bryant square park you're nailing the park you know and love outside of the new governor kathy hochul that's her name right yes kathy hochul Hochul. the the governor kathy hochul sitting in her ivory tower we're going to the ivory tower and we're saying you're the new governor why don't you pass this fucking bill andrew cuomo didn't want to pass uh, that has overwhelming public support and will maybe start a dent in uh, in uh, renewable energy in New York sometime soon. So, you know, if you value your life, I think it's a good <laughs> use of your afternoon. Uh, uh, it's 11 a.m., Bryant Square Park, January 13th. Be there. Uh, another plug I have, an equally big thing to stopping climate change. I have launched a Kickstarter for season uh, Theater of Delight Season 4. It's here. It's raw. You can vote on what we're going to be doing for the, the for the season. Will it be a horse girls show? Is it going to be a a, a a soap opera and and big money times? Is it going to be another anime thing? You're going to have to go in there and make your voice heard. Um, it's a very low startup cost, but these take a long time to make. So I do have to do a Kickstarter for it. And you can find that pinned on my Twitter at Patak Test Kitchen on Twitter.com. Your number one source for tweets. Your number one it. source for tweets. Twitter.com. Do it to it. Today's sponsor is Twitter.com. <laughs> tweet it. It's in the tweet. <laughs> it's tweeted. It's tweeted.